0: Hello, um, this is Joshua Chai, and you're listening to Poems, Prose, and songs on V89.1, The Roar. Uh, Welcome to our first um, radio show of the semester, and really ever, I am joined by my good friend, Sarah Van Fleet, if you want to say anything.
1: Hello, I'm Sarah. I'm a senior here at Villanova. I'm a biology major, but Josh and others have kind of roped me into the humanities department as a minor, and so I think that's kind of where the conversation's going to lead us today. Right, Josh?
0: Yeah, (laughs) Sarah. (laughs) Um, So today, I wanted to talk about one of my favorite books, Um, can't speak for Sarah, but it's The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis, and pretty much, I think it's one of his best works of all time. Um, really delves into those themes of free will, forgiveness, mercy, compassion, grace, and whether, um, you know, what joy looks like beyond this here life on earth. So, I know Sarah wanted to give any thoughts on The Great Divorce before we dive in.
1: Yeah, I read Great Divorce for the first time in the past couple weeks, and I also really like it. It's probably in my top books as well josh but um yeah c.s lewis is just great and the way he kind of takes like dante's uh like the divine comedy and transforms it kind of here into his own version of heaven hell and purgatory um it's awesome and a little bit simpler than dante i would say but still just as like effective and has had a pretty drastic impact on my life already
0: yes so um just a little overview of the great divorce so we um, you know we brought into this uh, gray town where our narrator um, is waiting at a bus stop and you're like why is there a bus in like heaven and hell but really um, all of these souls in this place called the gray town have the opportunity to go up to um, this other country that is really is so drastically different from the gray town but it also hurts um, you know the grass is painful the sun is blinding and even the voices of the inhabitants of this country uh, make the shades of the great town writhe in pain um, and that's very different from the great town where everything is stark and dreary you know you can get anything you want but it's just slightly off so if you want a roof get a roof where it leaks you want food just maybe too salty, too sweet, just somewhere in that slightly off character, Um, and that's very different from the fair country, I believe it's called, or something like that, where everything is almost hyper-real, and that's something a lot of theologians like to talk about, but especially C.S. Lewis, where um, as you develop on your journey towards goodness and truth... You become more real. You become more yourself. You start getting towards who you're, you were made to be. Whereas, in the Great Town, people become more shrunken in on themselves. Um, one of those prime examples is Napoleon. He's just pacing his, um, his house in circles, just rehearsing arguments, rehearsing like things he could have done, and just really consumed in on himself that he just doesn't notice anyone else. Um, he becomes less and less himself as he becomes. More caught up in the things of um, the world that he doesn't want to give up, but that has um, disastrous effects. But it's not always clear to the inhabitants of the Great Town that they're in a place of disaster.
1: Yeah, I would say, like, Great Town, you like, so the narrator is in this Great Town, it's on, it's in like twilight, so it looks like it's about to become night, but it hasn't become night yet, and everyone there. They have the choice to leave, but they all stay. But they don't just stay. They continually get farther and farther away from each other. So at this bus stop that Josh talked about, there's only people at the bus stop. The town itself is empty. And it would kind of, you could like picture it as a town today, like maybe somewhere like an old coal mining town or somewhere that has been like left and abandoned by people. And the all the windows are boarded up or there's no inhabitants left. And that's kind of what this gray town looks like and everyone has moved to the far, far edges of this town. They're like millions and millions of miles apart, and that's where we find Napoleon, and he's all by himself, just pacing back and forth and back and forth. And this kind of seems to represent this idea that we're all, we all have this ability to condense ourselves in our own minds, where we're just stuck pacing back and forth in our heads and so focused on ourselves refusing to like enter into real relationship, refusing to enter into this reality which um, comes as you get like higher and higher into this uh, like heaven world but we refuse to submit to that and instead just stay stuck in our own heads by ourselves and we create this hell in this grey town for ourselves Um, yeah but then we go, some of the characters get to go up to heaven and we get like a glimpse of what, what that world looks like too.
0: Yeah. Um, something I wanted to comment, that mm-hmm. idea of being fixed in on yourself um, mm-hmm. definitely resonates a lot with one of Augustine's favorite uh, theological topics, mm-hmm. and he calls it incurvatus in se, uh, or, or curved in on themselves. Kind of um, imagine someone bent over, staring at their belly button. That's how my uh, professor once put it. But basically, they're in on themselves. They can't even look outwards and see... Um, the beauty and the goodness outside of them and in order to have that they can't do it on themselves need an external force to cause this metanoia or this change where um, they can finally look outwards and start on that journey um, towards the higher reality and in the great divorce that metanoia comes from these um, souls I guess you, you would call them they're like really radiant and like I said before they're hyper real in that um, they become more real. They become more themselves and that hurts the shades. Um, but every person that comes on that bus up to the, to that um, higher country has, uh, a corresponding soul that comes down from the mountains who journeys all the way down to perhaps grant that, get that chance of them leaving behind the great town forever. Um, some refuse it, but some actually go on that journey, um, painful that it may be but um, they do um, have that choice they have that free will Um, one great I I think this quote really encapsulates it this um, guy's talking to um, Lewis and he's like oh like uh, um, what's happening here and um, he realizes that that shade had been entreated it could make a refusal um, or the shade could have left and gone through that process of paranoia but we do ultimately have free will in how we choose to live our lives and how we choose to orient ourselves so we either willingly orient ourselves towards ourself or we orient ourselves to the other
1: yeah I guess before we get like into specific like scenarios that the great divorce uh, paints of these people either choosing you know to love outwards choosing this heaven or choosing to go back to hell I guess I just want to like focus in on Lewis's idea of this like free will and how important it is you know like we I don't know I think all of us kind of have this picture painted into our heads of what heaven and hell look like and they're more so like these places you know heaven is beautiful it has all of these like palaces and castles and gold and beautiful landscapes and then hell is full of fire and torment and punishing and it's brutal. But what C.S. Lewis is showing us here is that heaven and hell aren't just these places, they're they're these mindsets that we ourselves choose to enter into because of our free will. You know, we choose to make we choose heaven because we choose to look outside of ourselves. And we choose to accept like the grace of God, whereas we can also choose hell, which is just choosing this looking inwards at oneself and refusing to accept, um, refusing to kind of kill a piece of ourselves and accept the like charity that God is offering us. And we'll get more into that as we go through the examples. But I just want to emphasize how free will is just the like, I don't know, I think that's my favorite theme of Lewis here and in a lot of his other Uh, works like screw tape letters or other things, you know, we, every day we have the opportunity to make choices that are either going to lead us closer to heaven or closer to hell. Um, You know, it's not, it's not out of our control. We have, we have a say in our,
0: how our eternity is going to look. Yeah. And we're not just given that one chance. We're Mm -hmm. offered almost infinite number of chances to reorient ourselves. Mm -hmm. And you can see that in... Some of these shades have gone on that bus ride <laughs> up to that um, to the higher country dozens of times um, and maybe sometime maybe one day that will be their final trip up whether they return to the great town forever in on themselves or they um, start you know having that internal transformation that metanoia um, I think one one scene in the great divorce really highlights this, Um, free will well it's um, this this guy has this lizard on his shoulder and it's whispering some things in his ear and it's part of him and you you can see um, in the great divorce um, sometimes these sins that are part of these people are represented outside so there'll be another part later where there's this guy has another external part of himself but it's still part of him so um, for the lizard guy um, the lizard represents his lust and his sin that's constantly trying to um, lead him to, um, you know, refuse um, the gifts that are being offered to him. And he's having this conversation with an angel. And, you know, he, uh, the angel's saying, like, you're going to have to let me kill that lizard in order for you to keep going on this journey. And the guy's being like, really scared because that's like it's hard to leave behind part of yourself it's hard to have this thing that's been part of your yourself and your identity like ripped away um i one of my Mm -hmm. professors dr hughes put well like sometimes you're so um you know you've been in this place for so long like having that change almost feels painful um like like a wagon in a dirt road you keep going back and forth back and forth and it's in there but it's not in stone you can still get out of it but it's gonna take a lot of effort it's gonna take a lot of work um so ultimately um this shade is like okay do it do it and he's like bracing and it hurts a lot he's screaming and writhing in pain um it hurts but then almost after that he's reborn he's transformed he the lizard turns into a horse if i recall correctly because i can't find the page and he um is um brought to almost like new life he becomes transformed um before we continue i would like to um just read some of these so the villanova tech zone is a free resource for helping students faculty and staff troubleshoot their technological needs Contact us at 610-519-7777. Chat with us online or visit our law school, Falvey Library, or New Commons offices. For more information, visit unit.villanova.edu. Um, mm. All right. Yeah.
1: Um, I kind of want to jump in with the man and the lizard. Um, I think, so, as Josh was saying, the man, it hurts really really bad for him to get rid of this lizard but the angel, I think I'm most like amazed kind of how the this angel acts in this position like it's this big beautiful creature and all the angel keeps asking this man is like very simply may I kill it and just repeats this man is coming up with all these excuses like oh no I didn't know we'd have to kill it, oh I didn't know, like let's just wait a little bit, no I don't. I don't want to kill it I mean can it be like a gradual process but the angel just repeated and repeated may I kill it May I kill it? And then finally, like, this man's, like, final plea, what kind of brings him to, like, restoration with God and allows him to become this beautiful real creature is such a, like, such a weak, like, cry. All he says is, like, okay, fine, do it. Like, it's that fine. And that's all he has. It's not some beautiful, like, yes, I'm ready to get over this sin. I'm ready to get rid of this part of myself. I'm going to kill it. Like, I'm ready. Yes, do it, please. Like, I've been waiting for this. No, he's like, okay, fine, do it. And, like, that just speaks so much to, like, how little we actually have to have in our faith in order to, like, reconcile with God. Like, he's not asking that much of us. All he's asking is, like, can I get rid of it? Like, can I help you? Will you let me help you? It's like, Jesus, he asks one of the, I think it was uh, either a leper or, like, a paralyzed man, like, do you want to be healed? And all... Bethesda. Yeah, yes. And all he has to say is, like, yes, all we need to do... Like, we can't do it on our own. This guy couldn't have gotten rid of this lizard, this, like, lust or addiction that had been plaguing him his whole life. He couldn't have gotten rid of that on his own. But as soon as he said this, like, weak cry of, like, okay, God go ahead, like help me. Then immediately he's healed. And it's not just this lizard is killed. This man turns into a beautiful, like brilliant figure, like all of the other like spirits that belong in heaven. And this sin that used to be riding him as a lizard. Now he, this, the sin, God transforms it out of its like death. He resurrects it into a horse. this like beautiful stallion, which the man then mounts and rides up the mountain up to heaven and so, like, what a beautiful, like, sin used to ride on this man and control him. But now this man is transformed because he is, like, killed and resurrected in God. He allows God to work in him that he then rides on this horse up to heaven. He rides on the, like, sin, which is now transformed to heaven. And I just think that's, like, so crazy how God can do so much out of so little on our end.
0: Yeah. Um, I would like to read some lines from that scene. I mm-hmm. found it. Um The narrator's coming like, oh, that lizard really turned into a horse? Um, And then his guide says, yes, but it was killed first. Nothing, not even the best and noblest, can go on as it now is. Nothing, not even what is lowest and most bestial, will not be raised again if it submits to death. Um, It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Um, And that is another, like, big theological idea I've been, like, working towards where desires are not inherently bad. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we've been talking about this in, like, our problem of love class, Mm -hmm. where this, like, physical desire for others, um, even if it turns out bad, but that desire itself is not bad. It just needs to be redirected. Mm -hmm. Um, It can be transformed. It can be rightly oriented. Um, I think that's a big idea in, like, I think Aristotelian ethics or something like that, where... um, you know, you either have too much of something or too little. And when you get mm-hmm. to virtue, it's just right. But it's not like you have to give up this whole desire. Like, say you're a very greedy person. It's okay to want things um, because things are good and they help you live. They help you, you know, operate in the world. But if you want too much, then you know, you're hurting other people and you're ultimately hurting yourself. Or think of like something like pride. Um, it's okay to, you know... Bathe in your accomplishments because, yeah, that is a cool thing you did, um, you know, but too much of that almost, um, you know, twist yourself in on yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is ultimately, um, you know, an excess or deficiency that um, causes, you know, sin. It's not just a disordered desire. Um, your desires don't disappear, but they do have to be transformed. Um, And notice how um, Lewis writes that not even the best and noblest can go on as it once was. So even like, you know, think of like the best person ever. Like they, you know, on this path to heaven, they're not going to continue being that best person ever. They're going to become even better. They're going to become even more real, even more noble um, because, you know, they're still not perfect. And they do have to submit themselves to that. Um, transforming and healing power. Um, you know, even like the greatest saints are, were also like really great sinners. Um, but what matters is that, yes, what matters is um, their willingness to turn um, their eyes towards something higher. Um, even if it hurts, like this angel's telling the guy, he's like, I never said it wouldn't hurt you. I said it wouldn't kill you. And I can, um, that he cannot kill against his will. You know, in our lives, God does not just show up and snap his fingers and change you into something different because, you know, that would not be free will and that would not be good. Um, If God is all good, he will not do something that is evil. And forcing someone to do something is evil. I think Aristotle, again, is like um, he who was made good by the compulsion of another is not truly good Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: I think um, this kind of like ties into I think what you were just saying Josh like one of I think it was this guy with a lizard he asks the angel um, like well why didn't you just kill it without me knowing why didn't you do that in the first place Um, why did you let me have this this like lust my whole life why didn't you just take it away and that just speaks so much to our relationship with suffering and with sin um you know people sometimes will like wish you know like why did God give me the suffering why did God give me the sin why couldn't he have just like made everything beautiful and perfect and like why why do I have to be so messed up but if God is that like really what we would want like for God to create all of us without without our ability to choose, because that's what it would be, like, God would be taking away our ability to choose, and like, I don't know, it seems like we like to have our ability to choose, and so I think we have to like consider what 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 kind of a world would that be what kind of a god would god be if he just wanted us all to be these like perfect creatures that he controlled every aspect of our lives whereas here we get to we get to freely choose him which is what love is is freely choosing mm-hmm. the other and willing the good of the other and he's there for us at every step of the way trying to get us to choose him but because you know we have this ability to um yeah make make our decisions We, a lot of the times, don't choose him. Um. Yeah.
0: Love is made more real when it is a free um, (coughs) gift. Mm -hmm. Even, you know, think about, like, a dog. No offense. But, like, um, the love of a dog towards its owner is much different from, like, the love of another actual human being who Mm -hmm. is saying, yes, I choose to walk with you even in your imperfections and your guilt. And even when you hurt me, I would be with you whereas a dog only sees like this person feeds me and it makes me feel nice but they don't wholly see you as um as you are and is not as free of a gift because you know you know neuroscientists can debate this all day but I would personally say that like dogs don't necessarily have like that theory of mind they can't really replicate any um of the internal um you know, internal, like, life within them that we can, like, we can see these people and be like, oh, this isn't a perfect person, but I'm going to choose to love them anyways. Um, but Sarah also is making me think of um, Paul, the apostle. He struggled with sin for his entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, and he writes about it as this thorn in his flesh. You know, he's like, oh, it's, like, in me. Like, God, just take it away. But uh, ultimately, he's like, I'm going to keep giving it up and walking with you, Lord. Um, he says, like, I hate what I ought to love and I love what I ought to hate. Um, having that, like, knowing what you should be doing, but, like, you still feel this, like, pulled towards the worldly and the finite. Um, but ultimately, when we're offered this infinite joy, this infinite happiness, this infinite love and forgiveness, kindness and mercy, um, for many people that will you know it's worth it to give it up um, even if it's hard um, I, like I know I still struggle um, I'm sure literally every other person on earth has had that struggle um, but we continue to fight um, you know to the point of blood I think Paul or Peter says um, I'm not good with the the epistles um, conjuring out um, lines or anything but I have all those little threads that I want to tie in Okay, um, another scene with this like free will thing where it doesn't end as happily is um, this guy and he's chained chained to this dwarf called like a tragedian. Um, I I think it's like to represent like almost his like possessiveness, um, his love towards someone, but made twisted. Um, like we said, like even the best thing can be twisted away from its original intent and. This um, dwarf guy, um, he's a dwarf because he's drunken so much in on himself, um, was in love with this lady who is now exalted in the heavenly country, and she's begging him to let go of this dwarf. Um, she's doing all she can, um, but ultimately, because he has free will, he does make that refusal, and he shrinks more and more in on himself. Um, because he cannot possess... Um, this lady fully and wholly, um, you know, he becomes twisted. Um, That's like a malformed vision of love that um, I've continued to learn where love is not necessarily possession, but it's willing the good of the other for the other, not for our own sake. So maybe what we think is best is not best for this other person. But if we love them, you know, we're going to pursue what is best for them, regardless of our own feelings. Um, if we love others in this self-giving way, we're going to uh, like give it up, give up our own desires for that person and let them flourish and push them to be the best person that they can be. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can see like the two sides of that with um, the lady and the dwarf, where um, the tragedian is like saying, like, why can't I have you? And this lady is saying, like, you have to let this part of you go in order for you to be free. And at times it's hard to, like, see someone you, know you love hold on to something so tightly that you know is hurting them. Um, but because we can't force anyone to do anything, um, you know, ultimately we just have to walk with them. And we have to be with them, hoping that they'll make the, the right decision.
1: Mm-hmm
0: um before we comment um i'd like to read some um wait you're listening to wxvu 89.1 the roar um this is poetry prose and songs with joshua sai um so sarah
1: hello um yeah i liked the story with the dwarf and the tragedy and and Sarah Smith is the name of the like beautiful woman um, who's awesome. Beautiful but I think, name, yeah, great name. She has an H on the end of Sarah too. Um, but I think I would kind of want to tie into that, which you touched here now. But also, you were talking about the like Aristotelian Aristotle <laughs> yeah. uh, like d- definition of love, where it could be like an excess or in like a deficit, and I think that applies here. And it applies with the, like, mother and son story earlier mm-hmm. in Great Divorce. But starting with Sarah Smith and the dwarf, what this, like, dwarf wants is he wants... Um, he, like, he loves Sarah Smith, but he he wants her to love him in a way that, like, she can't... Um, he He's not loving her for the sake of herself. He wants Sarah to, like, pity him because she was this, like, beautiful woman on Earth. And even though, like, no one would have heard of her... I think a part of him was like kind of jealous of this like beautiful life she lived and that he Mm -hmm. he couldn't live that with her and so he wants to like drag this sarah smith who is beautiful who has like a parade of angels all around her he wants to drag her back to hell with him and so like that's not love and wanting to like loving someone so much that you want to possess them like you were saying josh so much that like you're willing to drag them back from this beautiful like glorious state into hell like that's that's not love and I think in class when we were discussing this we talked a lot about how like this idea of like pity that he just wants her to desire pity like she want he wants her to pity him so much that he's trying to drag her back down into this like rough state but then she says the line do you know off the top of your head Josh the like I I will not I am in love it's yeah
0: so um yeah he's like why didn't you just if you love me so much why didn't you go down to the great town to pursue me um but she says, if it were possible I would go down with you into hell, but you cannot bring hell into me. And then goes on to say, um, I cannot love a lie. I cannot love the thing which it is not. I am in love and out of it I will not go. Yeah, so basically um, you know, for these people that have gone to the mountains you're like, oh, why didn't they go like an extra step further? Like, why don't they go into the great town and pursue these people? Um, but part of lewis's cosmology in the great divorce is that hell is so small and so insignificant like it is smaller than like the smallest hole um, made from plucking a blade of grass um because joy is so infinite and misery is almost unreal it i mean yeah it becomes less and less real as we see um the The guy named Frank, he becomes he keeps shrinking and shrinking, until you can't even see him anymore. Um, so these people are so huge, so great, as they have gone on this journey, they can't even fit into that anymore. Um, I know George McDonald; um, he's a character in here. I believe it's George. Um, he talks about how, um, like, joy cannot always be living under threat of misery like as much as misery would like to destroy joy it is so small it is smaller than um one pebble of your earthly world all hell is smaller than one atom of this world the real world um it would um bad cannot succeed even in being bad as truly as good as good um so she couldn't even fit into hell there's no room for her because the joy would just overflow and almost destroy it and these people would be like wiped away um but even if um you know hell and misery wanted to infect joy and love it cannot um a random butterfly flits across he said even if that butterfly swallowed all of hell it wouldn't cause it even the slightest indigestion um and that's shows how unreal this gray town is in comparison to the heavenly place that these mountains um that are the realest real even realer than our own real
1: and i think like one of my like favorite lines of the book has to it's right off of this section <clears throat> but how it's not like we can't it's not like those who are in hell are completely closed off from heaven. As we've talked about, they have the choice to come up. But again, there keeps being this, like, why aren't we doing more for the people in the gray town? Why, like, why aren't we helping them? Why are these angels not descending into the gray town and dragging them out of there? But, like, we have to remember that that's exactly what Christ did. And it's, mm-hmm. um, the quote is, like, only the greatest of all can make him sm- make himself small enough to enter hell, and only one has descended into hell. And so, like Christ he did descend into hell, and he did take the souls, and I guess Lewis would probably say, like all the souls who were willing to go with him went, and they continue to go with him um if they decide that, but we we choose heaven or hell for itself um and that's like one of the really big quotes which I might not be able to find at the moment, but yeah. where it says that in the end it's either. God says, or either, yeah, I, yeah. I think I you have the quote? Go
0: ahead. So, um, in the end, there will be two kinds of people. Mm-hmm. Those to who, whom to say, who will say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God will say that will be done, mm-hmm. um, because we have that choice. Um,
1: yeah, you know, so we're either saying to God, like, okay, your will be done, I'm going to come up to heaven with you, this is going to be great, or... God says to us, in our rejection of Him and our rejection of like the good and this retreating back into ourselves, God will say to us, "Thy will be done."
0: Yeah, and something we might like could emphasize more is how painful this initial journey um, into the country and up the mountains is. Um, like I said, the blades—very blades of, blades of grass—are piercing through the, sh- the f- feet of the shades. Like, all the sound is just overwhelming and, like, hurts their ears. And all the the sights are just piercing their eyes. Like, it hurts to even, like, look. So all these people, some of them even just run back into the bus because it hurts so incredibly much. And you'll see, like, like with the lizard um, story, the guy had to go through all this pain in order to, um, you know, become transformed and elevated and you'll see like um the narrator as he can you know continues to have this dialogue with this um with his mentor mcdonald um you know it it starts to hurt less and less but like that initial part that initial transformation is painful and ultimately you know i like i think this is true maybe um (laughs) someone can dispute this but you know as we get into heaven we're going to have to be transformed we we can't even if we live the most virtuous life ever like it's not going to be um fully complete but when we submit to that will that wants to make us whole and make us um more true more good we are going to be like changed and maybe that's gonna hurt in like the vaguest sense because parts of ourselves that we help, clung on to are gonna be removed or changed or transformed. Um, and that's part of the reason why, like, that, um, you know, people make that choice or not. Um, and you can see that, um, I know Sarah mentioned Dante, but in the Divine Comedy, like, that is made more real in, um, the Mountain of Purgatory, where these people who want to orient themselves to God, um, are willing to undertake this great transformation of the self and of the soul in order to reach that, um. You know that, that full communion with God, and it hurts. It hurts a whole awful lot. And even like Dante, as he's um, still technically alive in the comedy, he's going through some of this pain. Um, but it's almost like a like a purifying pain, in which mm-hmm. they're they're changing, they're growing, and they know what it's for. They can see, um, you know, the finish line. It's like I don't know if you're training for like a marathon, like. You're running. You're you're training. You're running, and that hurts. Um, but you have that end goal in sight, and you know what you're doing it for. And it's getting you better. and It's getting you closer to um, your goal, which, um, for the Christian, is you know, unity with Christ, unity with God, and being able to, you know, rejoice in that heavenly banquet forever and ever. Um, but it takes a lot, and if it wasn't opened, if the way wasn't opened up for us, it would have been impossible. Um, but what Sarah was saying, when how only one can cross that distance, you know, um, you know, part of being Christian is mirroring Christ. So, um, these souls in the, you know, in the, um, the higher country, they're mirroring that journey as they go down these mountains, they're forsaking part, part of their quote unquote progress to God. Um, nor do you even ha- just have a chance at beseeching these people. Um, many of them will say no, but they're making that sacrifice. They're making that journey over and over again, just at the chance that these people might be redeemed and saved and might, and that they might, you know, orient themselves towards this higher reality. Um, and um, I think McDonald speaks to, like, you don't know how much they've already given up. Like, they can't give up anything more um, than they already have. Um, it's like a huge sacrifice that they're undertaking every time that they go down the mountains. Um, so that's kind of like how they mirror that journey that God Himself took to go into hell. And I think it's the harrowing of hell. It's a lot bigger in the Orthodox tradition than it is in the um, Catholic tradition, but it is like you know still part of like our theology and one of the creeds. You know. Christ descended into hell, mm-hmm. um, when he died. And, you know, all of those patriarchs, all the faithful, um, that didn't have that way opened up to them before, but they still believed and they would have, if they had forgiven that chance, they left. You know, he broke down the doors and, in Dante, that's seen in how the gates of hell are just wide open. They're like broken and they haven't been fixed. You know, the gates of hell have been destroyed. And, you know, the very foundations of hell were, like, just, like, shaken. There's, like, rocks, like, strewn about and, like, broken because, you know, he shook hell that much. You know, I think Virgil said, like, it felt like love was shaking the very world. Um, and that's, you know, kind of what happens when he psh, kicks down the door. Um, I feel like Sarah would <laughs> like that image, just kicking that, that door to, to rescue us, to rescue um, all who had come before.
1: Yeah. Um I just wanted to add this one uh quote uh, cuz you were talking about how like painful it is to um get up there to heaven and the fact that like Christ has like knocked down this door and that just means that you know heaven and hell they do they start now. Um, and McDonald says in the book he says this is what mor- mortals misunderstand. They say of some temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for it. Not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even that agony into a glory. And of some sinful pleasures they say, let me have but this and I'll take the consequences. Little dreaming how damnation will spread back and back into their past and contaminate the pleasure of sin. Both processes begin even before death. And so, even now, like, when we face this this temporal suffering or yeah these hardships or we have like these great pleasures that we want to we want to choose either way like this is this is starting the preparation this is starting that like journey up the mountain or down uh into like this nothingness that is hell uh that starts now and so we can we can take our suffering now and kind of offer it up even though it sucks and um yeah use that as a use that as like a a vector to uh, vector <laughs> to get to heaven uh shout out Paul
0: Camacho. and corinne and if corinne. she's somehow listening
1: <laughs> but yeah love is i mean like any type of love is painful and that's what uh, that's what christ shows us because it requires this like stepping outside of ourselves this like ecstasy Hashtag problem of love Uh, (laughs) that takes us outside of ourselves and makes us vulnerable to being hurt. Um, And that's why like this this Christ's greatest act of love was dying on a cross. And in the great divorce, there's this waterfall, this like huge stream of waterfall Mm -hmm. uh, that's beautiful. And then finally, the narrator looks at it and it's like, wait a second. And he said it was actually, like, a spirit that was pouring out itself like an as angel. if it was yeah. cru- an angel crucified. And so, like, all of the energy of heaven is this this, this crucified love, is the sacrificial love that comes out mm-hmm. of suffering but also brings great joy because I think, you know, joy is deeply united to um, to yeah. suffering in general.
0: Yeah, it's like an outpouring of the self. Um, in Christian Weiman's uh, My Bright Abyss, he talks about... Um, how he was reckoning with terminal cancer um, he was able to miraculously survive but he was living for <laughs> um, all this time thinking he was going to die leaving behind his young wife and two children and um, I'm not a parent but I can even just imagine like a, like a glimpse of that how much pain that must be to like, know you're going to leave behind these two uh, these three like huge people in your life that you've barely started getting to know and as he's reckoning with his mortality he um, is also reckoning with his faith and he says um, I'm paraphrasing but he talks says uh, if faith is a bomb why does it still hurt so much in response to how um, some people will say like oh you just leave because it makes everything like nicer and happier but like why is it still so gut-wrenching like why is it hurt like it feels like i'm being stabbed um yet he, i still believe and it hurts and towards the end he um concludes that um christ doesn't come into the world to take away pain and suffering and death but he does come into the world to transform it um you know christ on the cross that's you know if that was the end of the story that'd be <coughs> that'd be like gut-wrenching That it hurts like suffocating to death over the point, like period of hours and hours, and bleeding out and having that outpouring of the self, because um, it hurts. But because he is resurrected and raised um, from the grave, you know, so are we. <laughs> um, yeah, and that's why, like all, like our pain is united with Christ on the cross, and ultimately it will be raised up um, and that i think i mentioned earlier like everything has to die and be raised in order to you know live again into new life and you know it's gonna hurt in the meantime but ultimately it will be transformed and um you know transfigured um that's kind of like the subject of my humanities senior essay um for all you humanities fans out there um i'll be exploring how you know grace does have this transformative power To change you know pain and suffering and death because those are huge parts of our lives um, and we need to reckon with that but it doesn't mean we have to give up hope we don't have to give up joy um, because we have you know Christ within us everything's different you know grace will work back and change even the greatest of sorrows into the foretaste of heaven Um, but we have to accept that gift I don't
1: know. Um. WXVU is
0: honored to have been nominated for five <laughs> WXVU is honored to have been nominated for five 2022 to 2023 Intercollegiate Broadcast System Media
1: Awards, including Best College Radio Station. Also receiving nominations were Chris Kokinos' interview with Kaylee Brendel as Best News Interview, and through the WXV and U Health Partnership, graduate student Alex Hudson's podcast, Ring the Alarm, as Best Public Affairs Program. Winners will be announced in February at the annual IBS conference in New York City. WXVU thanks you, our loyal listeners, for all of your support that make this kind of recognition possible. And we're back <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay what else do you want to what else do you want to talk about Josh
0: oh, I don't know there's like so much um I guess we can kind of you know make our right way back I know we kind of jumped forward towards the end um but there's this one of the first encounters that our near um, witnesses <coughs> is this murderer um mm-hmm. And this other guy he knew in life. But, you know, in this reversal of what our expectations would be, the murderer is actually one of the solid people, one of the um, the spirits that are coming from the higher land. And the other guy is just, um, you know, he's from the Grey Town.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, you know, like, this guy's just like, I haven't murdered. Why, why am I not up there? Um, you know, like, having this um, this indignation, which I guess would, I mean, it would be justified to be like, oh, the, this guy literally killed people. Like, why is he, you know, in this heavenly place? And why am I just stuck in this miserable, um, wretched, gray town? Mm-hmm. Um, and um, to the guy's surprise, even the guy that um, the spirit murdered is um, also up on the mountains he's journeying towards god and they've long reconciled Mm -hmm. um but it's um quite a curious circumstance
1: um yeah the guy the the ghost guy from the gray haven um he just repeatedly as he's talking to this guy this murderer um he keeps saying like all i want are my rights i just i'm asking for nothing but my rights i was a decent man and if only I had my rights, just like on and on clinging onto these these so called rights. Um And I think um it just kind of like I don't know, it points to how much we think that like that our life like that we can we can determine whether we're like good people or not. Or just because like we think we're these like good people, we don't we don't murder anyone, we don't like do any of these like crazy sins that doesn't that doesn't really like mean anything um but what we see here is that actually the guy who murdered someone he had an easier time like reconciling and turning to god and like going to heaven because of how like how big and bad his um his sin was um he had he had this ability to like recognize recognize see how bad he was and kind of like Stop looking at himself and like turn to God and be like, I, I need your help. Um, whereas this guy who thinks he's doing really well, he's like, oh, I'm I'm fine. I don't really need God. Like, I'm, I just want what I I want, what I deserve. I should get what I deserve. And but at one point he says, um, I'm only telling you the sort of chap I am. I only want my rights. I'm not asking for anybody's bleeding charity. And then the spirit says, then do at once ask for the bleeding charity. Everything here is for the asking and nothing can be bought. I just really mm-hmm. like that line. Ask for the bleeding charity, because um, we try we try to do so much on our own, and yeah, we can make these choices, but nothing can actually be done without asking for that bleeding charity of Christ. Without acknowledging, like, hey, I can't kill this like the lizard. Like, I can't do this on my own. I need you. Mm-hmm. I need the bleeding charity. But all of these spirit, all of these um, these souls, these like shadows from the purgatory world, from the gray world. None of them. They're all so hyper-focused on themselves that they don't recognize they do need God and that they do need to, like, die to themselves in order to get further up and mm-hmm. let go of that. And that reminds me a lot of, like, the death of Ivan Ilyich, Um, yeah. how, like, he kept holding on to this idea, like, no, but I know I had a good life. I lived according to how, like, everyone else lived. I'm doing great. Mm-hmm. Like, I did great. Why? Why is this so painful? Why am I so scared to die? But then at the very last second of his life, he's like, wait, I guess I didn't live as well as I should have. And even in that like small uh, recognition of how bad his life was, he was able to reconcile and hopefully like we think based on the end of that book that he does reconcile with God and go to heaven. But unfortunately this guy doesn't, he's still just so stuck in his own head thinking like, oh well if I'm not going to get my rights and a murderer gets like this, then I don't want to be here anyway. Which is a lot like the prodigal son story I would say too. He's like the older brother.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, (laughs) Ivan dies, but at the end he says it was all like, But something you um, mentioned is like how we all need this uh, bleeding charity, Um, and for the Christian, you know, we can't really claim like, oh, I'm a good person, because ultimately none of us are. Um, The murderer, well, former murderer, I guess, because um, you know he's been made new. His name is Len. He says, "Uh, "You weren't a decent man, and you didn't do your best. We, none of us, were. None of us did." Lord bless you, it doesn't matter. There is no need to go into it all now. Um, and then Paul in an epistle, maybe Corinthians, Ephesians, um, No one. He, he says no one is righteous, not even one. Um, all have fallen short of the glory and goodness of God. Um, but then he follows up, like, you know, we a good thing it's not up to us. Um, because we have Christ, because we have God, because we have His grace and mercy. You know, we don't have to be trying to cross that infinite chasm on our own, but we do have to submit ourselves and give ourselves up. Um, Len, you know, tells the Shay, he says, um, I have given myself up. I had to, you know, after the murder. That was what it did for me, and that was how everything began. You know, he has that reckoning moment where he start, he's come to the end of himself, um, and he realizes like, oh, like, you know i my life is you know running away from me, and I can't do this by myself, um, so he does have that reconciliation with God in the end he that's how he you know ultimately achieves this this happiness, this bliss, this joy, um it's because he gives himself up, you know, he's not in control and I do think that's almost countercultural in which you know happiness is seen as you know taking control of everything or taking control of your life and doing whatever you want with it. Um, but in reality, you know we're not going to be able to do everything. We can't even control everything, um, but you know giving ourselves up and leaning into that infinite. Um, is almost how our story begins that's how um, we become different because our lives aren't our own anymore but that makes it all the better it's a little paradoxical and maybe a little funky to get but I can tell you from the inside it does pan out
1: mm-hmm. yeah that reminds me of this whole uh, it reminds me of John twelve twenty four. I looked this up Because I didn't know it off the top of my head But uh, Christ says Truly truly I tell you Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies It remains only a single seed But if it dies it produces many seeds Mm -hmm. And so yeah we're all called to kind of For In like humility Like forget Or not focus so much on ourselves And look outwards and look look to Christ And live our lives You know in, in his control
0: Yeah yeah, you know, just as Christ died for his church, so are we called to die every day. Mm-hmm. And it it's like not the easiest. Sometimes it hurts a whole awful lot. Um, but ultimately you will start seeing that fruit. Um and again like that nothing can go on as it once was. Um even on this side of eternity, you know, we're called to do that, we're called to to die for our own wants and desires and passions for mm-hmm. the good of the other um you know it's very different from you know the perception of love i guess in the self-gratification way um you know love is not always an equal exchange but mm-hmm. to its if you pursue it to its like extent you know it won't ultimately be for you ultimately be for the other um for the other's sake it's hard it's hard it's always it's it's not an easy journey we're not called to do anything easy um but we try anyways
1: yeah i think i'm gonna go off on a little bit of tangent because this was one of my favorite like parts of the book um was that just like how how well, this wasn't my favorite part, but how many people actually don't choose to, like, go on this journey and how many of them turn back. And I think that kind of speaks a lot to, like, today. Like, a lot of people don't really choose um, Christ. And I I mean, like, there's so many times in my life where I really don't choose the good. And Mm -hmm. I think we we kind of, like, think about that a lot. But one of the perspectives that I think C.S. Lewis kind of calls us into is to think about that through, like, Christ's perspective and how... He doesn't he wants the good for us, and just because he does just because he gives us this choice doesn't mean he like so desperately desires for us to choose him like we have like a jealous god like he wants us to choose him and to be with him for eternal life, but like time and time again we don't and um one of the mm-hmm. situations where this happens is there's this professor character who comes into into heaven and or into like the the beginning of heaven, where Josh was talking about where everything hurts in it but it's beautiful whatever so he comes into heaven and he's met by the spirit who is his friend on earth and this both of them were these intellectual professors and for a long time the narrator is watching the two of them get in this discussion and the professor who's a ghost um he just like keeps rambling on and on and on but you you think he's going to get a little bit closer and you're just like As, I don't know, I feel like I kind of put myself in the shoes of this Mm -hmm. spirit who so desperately wants him to join him, to, like, turn, see Christ, and come to heaven with him. But this conversation lasts forever, and then finally, the professor, his eyes kind of, like, I picture his eyes glossing over, and he says, uh, which reminds me, bless my soul, I nearly forgotten. Of course I can't come with you. And then he starts talking about his next um, paper topic Mm -hmm. for his, like, as he's teaching, which is about how... uh, if Christ would have out like if Christ would have would have died so young, he would have outgrown some of his earlier views and how he's going to um, point out how the crucifixion was, quote what a tragic waste, so much promise cut short. Um, and he says that he was thankful for the conversation. it was great pleasure, very stimulating and provocative. and he says goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. And in that moment, it just like my heart just, like, ached thinking about how the spirit, but mostly, like, how Christ would have heard those words. You know, like, what a tragic waste the crucifixion was. Not like like God would be, like, angry out of, like, pride or, like, justice, but just how, like, completely separated this professor is from Mm -hmm. him and, like, how sad that must be. And I couldn't help but, like, when this professor says, I mean, like he literally what the ghost says, You have seen heaven and you have seen hell now I'm at like now you must repent and believe will you? like you've seen everything, mm-hmm. and yet he's still not choosing it, and he says all he says of this like glimpse into heaven is it was most stimulating and provocative, mm-hmm. like how separate he is from God because he's like built this intellectual world for himself, and then finally, yeah, I couldn't help but think when he says goodbye 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 just the fact that there were three goodbyes like yet again as like peter denied christ three times this this guy is denied christ like goodbye 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 another three times This like just the same wound that christ has to like live over and over and over again in this like repeated betrayal and repeated rejection we have of him um yeah so i think we we tend to think of like hell as this punishment as like god wanting to punish us for our sins because he's angry and he wants to get this retribution whereas c.s lewis paints it as a picture of no god's not like trying to put he wants nothing more than for us to come with him but it's ourselves that choose to be punished it's ourselves that choose to lock us into this world and to to betray and to yeah leave christ's side
2: plato paper due tomorrow Need a fresh set of eyes to look over your final draft? Haven't even started yet? You can make an appointment at the Villanova University Writing Center, located on the second floor of Fahlia Memorial Library. The Writing Center is full of professionally trained tutors who assist Villanova students of all majors on their writing assignments, from personal statements to thesis papers, at any stage in the writing process. Hours of operation are Sunday from 3.30 to 7.30, Monday through Thursday from 11.30 to 7.30 and Friday from 11.30 to 3.30. Stop in or call 610-519-4604 to make an appointment today.
0: Okay. Well, shout out to the writing center. <laughs> I've always used them. Um, but, yeah, that definitely, um, Sarah, what you were saying, just made me think of how many times I've, you know, willingly turned away um, mm-hmm too many to count um, almost makes me want to weep um, but I'll hold it together but it's like insane how many times I've yeah I've denied Christ um, like you said Peter um, you know literally as um, Jesus being arrested he's like oh I don't know him and um, he even curses him at the last time I forget the Greek word but it's um Words I can't say on air, um, nor do I say in real life. (laughs) Um, But the way he's saying that about Jesus, and then Jesus just looks at him. Mm -hmm. And Peter weeps. His heart breaks. And I'm like, how many times have I been like, oh, what have I done? Um, But good thing for Peter. Good thing for the rest of us. It's not the end of the story. Um, Good thing for... All people from all times. It's not the end of the story um, because, you know, Peter's out on the boat and there's this guy at the shore. And they're like, huh? <laughs> and they see his truck, char- um, you know, the Greek, okay, start to get a little too into the Bible, but no, I won't apologize. But the word for the fire is like a charcoal fire. And it's the same fire that um, Peter was in front of when he denied Christ. And that's the only two times in the entire New Testament. Oh, entire Bible that those words are used. What? Um, and it's the same one. And he just yells out to, you know, Peter probably his brother and maybe James and John, like, okay, maybe that's wrong. But he's like, how's the fishing? And then tells them to throw it over the side. And they're like, oh my gosh. So they, they start paddling back, and Peter leaps out of the boat mm-hmm. and he runs. He runs to Jesus, and um, Jesus asks him, Do you love me? Said, Peter says yes he, and he says feed my sheep and says, Peter do you love me? yes, why are you asking? Peter do you love me? yes, you know I love you um, then he says um, grants Peter this um, you know, position to lead the church and after Peter had cursed him out and done all these things um, you know that love is greater and Peter runs into the arms of Jesus and um, you know, a priest told me the other day probably a couple months ago he said um, you know for the sinner you know for the for the Christian sin causes us to run to the cross it shouldn't make us run away from the cross yeah. um, we run to the cross again and again because you know we're not perfect and we fail all the freaking time um, but you know that's why we need God and that's why he came down for us because if we could do it ourselves, we'd have done it but you know frankly we're 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 not the best um, as a species um, but good thing we have this huge and great love who will come to us time and time again um, and then sorry um, my another favorite scene of mine is you know, the parable of the prodigal son, and you mentioned it, mm-hmm. um, this this guy, he was, you know, he was like, Dad, I, basically to the fact of I can't wait for you to die to get my inheritance. Can you give it to me now? And, you know, how how much that would must have hurt the father. Um, t- your son saying, like, I can't wait for, like, 10, 20 years for you to pass away to, for us to get our, you know, part of our inheritance. But he gives it to him, and the son goes and squanders it, you know, um, and there's a drought, and um, he's, like, feeding the pigs, and he's eating the pigs' feed, and um, he can't even eat the the food that the pigs eat. He says, like, even the lowest servant in my father's house is treated so much better than this. So he's going. um, He decides to go back, and he's rehearsing over and over in his head, like, Okay, I'm going to say, Father, I'm sorry. Like, just make me one of your servants, and I'll never do anything. He's, like, rehearsing this. And as he gets closer, he sees his father is standing outside the house a long way off, um, as if he'd been waiting there every day since his son's departure. And um, I can't imagine how the servants must have been like, what are you doing? Because that was so undignified for the master of a house. Um, But he does it anyways because of his love for his son even if his son would never come back again but he sees his son and he runs to him you know the father runs to the son that ran away and took half of his money and you know the son tries to say like sorry like i I messed up like just take me the father just like shuts it down and throws a cloak over his shoulder and like overjoyed um and he welcomes him home like um with a feast and this huge banquet and i mean that's what happens every time we, we wander away um, but then you know we're like we're coming back and even if like our words fall short like that coming back we are you know god runs to us with open arms and i know it's kind of insane to think about but you know god is that father standing waiting for his son to come home and when he does and when we do, he runs to us. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, loves us even when we don't deserve it. Um I that's kinda I don't know how we got here, but those are like some of my favorite yeah because they emulate they show that that um undeserved love yeah. so well. But, you know, we're loved anyways. Um, because he is love itself
1: let me hop in on the prodigal son um I think I found a lot of I mean I think a lot of us can relate to the, the the prodigal son of course the one who runs away and turns from God but two there's like the other son in the story too um the older son who when he sees the he hears this big feast that the father uh throws for his younger brother and he's so angry he he's like why like why does he get all of this I've never I've I've never gotten any big party, and I've been with you this whole time. And the father says, well, you've, everything I have is yours. Like, you've always been with me. And that the prodigal son reminds me of the story in, in Great Divorce where the guy is saying, well, I just want my rights. I just want my rights. I, I've lived a good life. I've been here the whole time, like this older son. Why, why do I not get this great reward when this murderer or this son who ran away with your inheritance... He gets heaven, but here I'm stuck here, and uh, I don't get a big party. And I think a lot of us can relate to this older brother figure, and that like we think we deserve more. We think that we're these good, moral, upright people, and that like you know we don't we don't need to ask for God's mercy. We we can look down upon these other people who aren't as holy mm-hmm. as us, or don't go to mass as much as us, or yada yada. Mm-hmm. Like we can look down upon them when no, that's not that's not our con- that's like wrong as we see in these stories. And I think I've. I've come to recognize that the prodigal son or the the older brother figure he is kind of redeemed in the figure of christ who is the like the first the only son of god but in christ what the older brother should have done is modeled christ and mm-hmm. that like when the father runs out to meet the prodigal son the like sinner when he runs out to meet christ the older brother what he should have done is is like grabbed his brother or what Christ actually does is he goes out into the world and he follows this prodigal son. And he's like, Mm -hmm. that's what the older brother should have done. He should have went and gone after Mm -hmm. gone after his brother who is making the wrong decision and brought him back to God. Or even so, if he saw his brother far away off, he would have ran and grabbed him and brought him to the father. And that's what Christ does for us. That's what we're called to do as disciples, Mm -hmm. as apostles is to go out and find like our brothers and sisters, and ourselves and bring them back yeah. back to the Father through Christ who is you know with us the whole time bringing mm-hmm. them back to
0: yeah. greater is the rejoicing in heaven over mm-hmm. one sinner who repents than 99 who had never left mm-hmm. or you know the, like the uh, woman looking for the one lost coin because um, <laughs> she has her other coins but you know she doesn't have that many she's like oh my gosh or uh, you know the Shepherd, Leaving behind his flock for his one sheep, Um, you know, being we are always chased down. We are that, um, you know, that treasure that, you know, God seeks to find, and you know we're not, you know, yeah. Like I said, if we're honest, we're not all that great. We're not the best, Um, but because we have life within us, you know, we have that that opportunity we have that joy offered to us and we shouldn't be you know having that pride towards others you know judging them you know judge not lest you be judged um because like we, we, we should be you know chasing down these other people because as the hands and feet you know the we should be the ones rejoicing with them um and um, I mean, wait. Maybe I shouldn't talk about this in the air, so I won't. Um, but you know, if you ha- like, say you had this um, friend, and um, maybe they they were just away for the longest time, and they <coughs> maybe you know they got into some bad stuff, and then they're like, they come back to you, and like, you know, you still love this person, and how overjoyed would you be for them to, you know. To be there with you, if they had been like wandering a long way off, um, you'd be absolutely ecstatic um, because you know you have this 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 joy for the other. Um, But I've definitely been both sons before, Mm -hmm. Um, trying to be better, but that's what we do every day. We we have to keep you know keep going, keep the faith. Um,
1: it's the climb
0: yeah Mm -hmm. but even if you think about some of the greatest figures in the bible they had made all these huge mistakes like um, Moses literally killed a guy and then ran away um he didn't even take the punishment he just ran away after killing this guy he buried him in the sand or um David yeah David um you know David was a man after God's own heart but um towards the end of his life um he started slipping into some things and he actually um, committed adultery um, even though the woman was unwilling. Um, And in order to hide up his sin, he tried to get the guy to come back um, and, you know, cover things up. And when the husband of the the woman refused, he sent him to the front lines and effectively killed him. And when David realized what he'd done... You know, he spent the rest of his whole life, like, limping because um, that had this such profound effect on him. Um, but, the again, the good news is it doesn't have to end there, and we don't have to be um, the ones, you know, limping out of our um, mistakes for the rest of our life um, because we are um, we are wholly changed and we're wholly made new, mm-hmm. just as, you know, David was a man after God's own heart. And God him, called him that before, like before all this had happened. But even though he knew, you know, David would do these things, he was still after God's own heart, and that's what we should be seeking to do. And that's what you know the characters of the Great Divorce are seeking to do, even in their imperfections, even in their weaknesses and infirmities. Um, they continue to seek, as we always should do.
2: Forget about your Fridays looking bleak. What about your Wednesdays? Villanova University's award-winning, student-run weekly newspaper, The Villanovan, hits residence halls, dining halls, and academic buildings every Wednesday morning for your reading pleasure. Read up on all things Villanova and beyond, from news to sports to arts and entertainment. Have some feedback? Email your response letters to editor at villanovan.com.
1: I think, well, we have to wrap up sort of soon, but... um just to like leave with some takeaways from our conversation and from the great divorce I guess I just kind of want to stress the like how how important and like how much power we kind of have in our lives to like I guess not power but to like choose God like to make these choices like every day we have to wake up and kind of choose um, choose the path of, like, most love, I think is what, like, mm-hmm. St. Therese says, and just choose choose Jesus, choose goodness, um, and it's hard, and we fail all the time, and so that's, like, terrifying, but what great divorce shows is that it doesn't actually require much of us to um, to be with Christ. It doesn't require much. Mm-hmm. All we need is a, like that, like, pained scared, like, okay, yeah, fine, do it, like, all we have to do is just in a moment of whatever it is, whether, like, we're confident, whether we're in this moment of weakness or fear, all we have to do is ask for that bleeding charity, ask, ask for God's intervention, and he will, you know, he, all he says, may, may I, like, may I, he just wants our permission to enter into our lives, and so every day, we just have to kind of offer up that, that permission that, say, Say that yes, uh, yes to God.
0: Yeah, he just wants us, even if all we have is a hallelujah. (laughs) Nice. Um, Or even if we don't even have that, um, you know, sometimes it's hard. Like, I'll be the first to admit, it's not easy. It takes a lot of courage and support and, you know, will to be able to, like, admit that you're not perfect it takes a lot to admit that you need the help of another um, but the good news for us the good news for all the characters of the great divorce is we're not alone and that the core fact and reality of our being is that we are loved that we are loved beyond measure, own space and time <laughs> loved to the point of death on our cross um, we'll, you know he did that even knowing how messed up we would be um you know he did that and because of that you know pain and death and sin don't have to be the end of our story um he can be that the end of our story you know we we just gotta keep going um on the climb (laughs) like Sarah said um but we do have to make that choice. Um, Because, you know, the funky thing with free will is that we can always change our minds. We we don't just wake up one day, like, in the middle of it. It's a process. It's a journey. Um, It's a path we have to take, and it's going to hurt at first. It's going to hurt a whole, awful lot, and there's probably going to be some tears um, and some... Um, just these like gut-wrenching moments but as we like keep going um even the greatest sorrows can be changed and transformed through grace through joy through the mystery of life you know (laughs) yeah do you want to I don't know. Do you want to say any of your sorry? Give give me a second.
1: Wait. Oh, I'm baiting.
0: Oh, i oh, 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 How was I supposed? Now
1: you're right outside Show me how you want it to
0: was hit me baby one more time or no baby one more time by britney spears um sorry for the technical difficulty we had back there um but we're back just for a little goodbye um yeah i would highly recommend reading the great divorce by c.s lewis it's a quick read (coughs) took me maybe one afternoon i was definitely very um invested um I absolutely love the themes of free will and grace um, because they play so much in my own life. Um, But this has been the first uh, show of poetry, prose, and songs. Um, I guess we didn't really have any songs besides Britney (laughs) Spears at the beginning and end. Um, But hopefully, um, you know, we'll start uh, picking it up uh, with our lives no, not otherwise. Really nice. with the show with more um, music um, and whatever my future guests will be talking about. Um, thank you, Sarah, for joining me. Thank you. Um, and uh, I know I'm trying to think of a little tagline at the end. Um, um, well, t- tune in 11:30s on a.m. on Friday um, every week except for probably a couple in the middle there because of spring break. Um, but thank you f- to all who are listening. Shout out to anyone who was listening. Um,
1: Jocelyn and Mary. Shout yeah. out.
0: Um, he was, yeah, just listening to us talk for <laughs> an hour and a half. Um, I don't know. R- God bless. God bless. Uh, remember you are loved. Um, and, uh, Yeah, thank you for tuning in. Um, Let's hope this doesn't play Britney Spears. (laughs) Okay. Have a nice day.